This podcast is brought to you by MedCloud. Get connected, cyber safe. Hi everyone, I'm Scott Tyson and welcome to the Vanguard podcast, where we speak to people who are innovating within their industry or at the forefront of reshaping themselves or their companies in this constantly changing world. This podcast is all about hearing the stories of success, failure, drive and determination, which we hope will give you inspiration whilst listening as you drive, walk, run, ride or working from home at your desk or at the office and I hope some of my guest stories will help you rethink, restart, or pivot your way to success. Welcome, and let's get started. My guest today is Ian Vickers, CEO of MacCloud, and Ian is a serial technology entrepreneur who launched his MacCloud brand in 2017. His cybersecurity company has gone on to win dozens of internationally recognized awards for innovation, and he is fascinated with how technology can improve business and lifestyles, and he continuously looks to identify emerging technology services and markets. In 2002, Ian was also awarded the Young Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young. Ian is very keen on contributing to the local and IT communities, and over the years has held positions on the Birmingham Community Safety Partnership, West Midlands Crime Partnership, was the chair of the Birmingham-related Crime Steering Group, and also on the Executive Council of CompTIA. Most recently, Ian was selected to become a member of the World's Economics Forum's Global Innovators Community. Community members are a select by invitation-only group of promising startups and scale-ups, and they represent, inform, and influence public and private sector decision-makers by contributing new ideas, perspectives, and innovations that address long-term global concerns. Ian, welcome to the Vanguard Podcast. Hi, Scott. Great to be invited and uh, great to be on the uh, Vanguard podcast. Really, really excited. No, we're we're really happy to have you here. And no doubt listeners, I think, will be very interested to learn how a footballer up north uh, who had a spell as a professional got into sales, became a self-made entrepreneur. And But one of the things that you and I speak about, actually, before we get into all this is elite sport mentality and teamwork. And I know it's a driver for you personally and within your business, but is that a fair comment to say that sport and the basis of sport and so forth was the catalyst to get you going in business? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I took a lot from the things that I learned early on uh, when I joined uh, some professional uh, football teams up in the Northwest. Started out at 14, um, and uh, and I just was fascinated that uh, that repetitive nature of everyday training, and that uh, that desire and demand made on you as an individual to perform at your highest level, which I find fascinating. Yeah, it's something I know that we've spoken about in the past, obviously with my cricket background and so forth. And you know, I, I guess taking us all the way back to those early days and. I'd love to know, and I'm sure the listeners would love to know, what was your first job and how did that inspire you to have the journey that you've had so far? Well, a little bit of a a funny story in the respect that I never started out 
fully in football at the start. I did six months uh, doing COBOL programming. Uh, so when I finished school at the age of 16, uh, uh, I was looking forward to a summer off uh, with my friends and my mum wasn't going to have any of it. And she said that I must get a job. So I was one of the, uh, the first people to take up. I think it was called a, a youth opportunities program. I think we were called YOPS at the time in, in 1981. And, uh, and I went and got a job doing uh, COBOL programming for the Mersey Docks and Harbour Company based down in uh, Liverpool City Centre. And that gave me an insight as to more about what I didn't want to do more, more than what I wanted to be doing uh, in my life. And it's funny how things go full circle sometimes. You know, So after six months of doing COBOL pro- programming, I knew after that that uh, that wasn't really going to be for me. And, uh, and I looked at other opportunities moving forward. I did think I would make it in the football um, sort of sphere. Uh, and I made up to about 21 and then I started playing semi-professional football up until about 29. So it was, uh, it was great though. Great experience. Yeah. I think it gives you that, that, that sense of worth, doesn't it? And also that discipline to, you know, be regimented in what you need to do every day to be successful and, and get the body right or get the, or, or get the training right to be successful in, in all facets of the life. Right. Totally. And I think, uh, I think some of the strengths it brings is, um, is a having to work in a team because obviously football is a team sport similar to cricket and, and obviously other team sports. And, you know, you have to think about how you perform as a, or contributors should say to that team uh, and, you know, and think about that. Um, But then also there's, there's times when you're injured and there's times when you have to train on your own and there has to be self-discipline, which I think is a, is a key part of becoming a professional sports person. And, and those can be very lonely days. Um, You know, they can be three months, six months, even I found where you can be training on your own and in physio constantly being uh, coming back to full fitness. And it's a difficult period for you as an, as an individual. Yeah, very much so. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Did you always want to own own your own company? Was that something that was always a goal for you? So I was one of those kids that was fortunate to grow up. I think, well, fortunate and not fortunate, depending on how you look at things, but fortunate from a perspective that my parents always owned uh, small uh, retail businesses. So general stores, news agents, um, a father owned a, uh, a bookies betting office and things like that. And, uh, and, you know, and, and, and that gives you a lot of experience at a very young age. You know, your parents tend to use you as, uh, as people to help out in those stores. Um, and we were working from the ages of 10 and 11, you know, and you probably wouldn't get away with that now, obviously, with the new sort of uh, employment laws and age restrictions. But back then, you know, they weren't, they weren't like that. So, you know, we, we had to work very long hours as young people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, you know, one of the things that, um, that I remember vividly as a kid was going in and working with my dad in, you know, doing menial tasks in the factory, whether it's carrying little bits of steel or whatever. So absolutely agree with you. Um, one, one of the questions, you know, this this podcast is around pivoting and changing direction and innovation and so forth. And, you know, I know for a fact, having conversations with you uh, over the years, that innovation's at your core and something that you like to follow. Um, 
What's one of the most innovative things that you've seen or witnessed in the last 10 years? Well, definitely in the last 10 years, it has to be the cloud. You know, Microsoft is your Amazon Web Services uh, recently added to that uh, ecosystem, Google Cloud uh, platform. And yeah, of course, MetCloud, I've got to say that as well. Um, but, you know, I just think that what's going on right now is transformational on every level, whether it's business, whether it's health, whether it's science, whether it's education, what the cloud is doing right now for the for for the global community is phenomenal. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I guess you know, especially now with with COVID and so forth, with the with the uh, new vaccines and so forth, there's just so much innovation happening on a not just a daily basis, but an hourly basis, right? Well, I would imagine that, uh, you know, cloud infrastructures have, have enabled um, rapid development of, of COVID vaccines. Um, you know, the data analytics capability, uh, the adoption of AI, machine learning, uh, all of those kind of technologies are, you know, transforming the way health is, uh, you know, sort of created and, and outcomes are improved upon all the time. You know, and, and I look at all small businesses, the way that small businesses uh, of all, well, I should say all businesses of any size have been able to quickly uh, react to the demands of what the pandemic have done for work from home kind of schemes and, and the way that business's agility has improved significantly. And that can only be done through cloud delivery models. Absolutely. Is there something that, you know, two or three years ago that, um, was really out there and you thought, wow, that's so innovative and, 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 you know, really love where that's going, that now has become mainstream? I think one that stands out for me um, is, and it's probably not the last three years, but, you know, I, I think if I was going to sort of claim fame to any invention that I'd want to be known for was really what Steve Jobs came up with, with iTunes. I think that was just the start of what's happened now with streaming of everything. I think it's it was not only transformative for the music industry, but has gone on to be transformative in all media. Uh, and and what iTunes did for the music industry, I mean, I know lots of organizations and artists have gone through some pain going through the change, but I think it's actually being an enabler for new emerging artists who can actually get their product and their their music out into the community um, more effectively, and and if they're good and if they are or if they are outstanding, then they tend to become successful quite quickly uh, and not wait for a record deal. Yeah, yeah. So so the ability now with technology to make it yourself as a, as opposed to dependence on others that are out there that could be, you know, unscrupulous or, or, or whatever the case may be, right? Yeah, I think what's uh, what the cloud and the way that, you know, all social media type platforms are uh, allowing organizations and individuals to do is to be heard and get their product out, you know, and small businesses can, you know, rapidly develop capability, uh, you know, through cloud enablement uh, and get their services and products out into a global marketplace really quite quickly. Um, 
you know, the, you don't need the same kind of investment up front, you know, so that's good. Uh, social media, as we know, is, is again, something I don't fully quite have a hook on at the moment because it's I think it's a it's a generation thing but you know you see lots of young uh, influencers doing very well and you know that's the new media stars of the future absolutely absolutely that's a really good insight mate I, I you know one of the things that um, I've always enjoyed is you know not only the the where you've come from and and how you've got there and 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 the awards that you've won and and the way of putting yourself out there to help the community, but um, the insightfulness of some of your comments is is really good, and I'm hoping um, that a lot of our listeners will uh, will certainly take that on board. Um, we're we're almost coming up to the end of the 10, 12 minutes that we that we have on the podcast, but I really like to finish off with a couple of quick fire three questions and. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I do like to ask is, is there one tool within your business, whether it be cloud-based SaaS or, you know, the broom or the kettle, um, but is there one tool within your, your business that, that you couldn't live without at the moment? It's a difficult one to say. One thing, I think for me, um, what makes MetCloud very special and makes all successful businesses uh, special is the culture that is created and the team ethic. And I think if you could actually say that's one single thing, uh, that would be it. I would say it's it's team effort, uh, and and so much can be achieved through great team ethics. And and I think that's the number one that I would say that's all businesses need to have if they want to be super successful. Yeah, that's a really good one. I love that. And and what do you wish you knew when you started the business that you know now? Oh my God, that is so difficult because it's a bit like what's the million dollar question? It's uh, you know when you start out very young, you you know you you're able to tear down walls. You're so enthusiastic. You've got so much energy. Um, you can be or do anything you feel like you're a super person or superman um and as you get older you get wiser and i guess if anything if I, if you could have that wisdom later on in your life at a, at an early start in your career then obviously you would fast track your successes um but that comes with time and experience i guess yeah absolutely absolutely really insightful and and the final question um and it's one I love because who knows what's going to happen, but where do you want to be in 10 years time? I love that question because I think when you get asked that question at different times of your life, it will always be a different answer. Um, because I know when I was 30 years of age, you know, I thought I'd be retired by 50. Um, well, I'm now 55, so that hasn't happened. So, and now you're asking me what will Will it be in the next 10 years when I'm 65? And I guess um, I, I think I'll still be doing what I'm doing now. It might not be with MetCloud. It might be with MetCloud. I don't know. But I actually have now discovered that what I love doing is actually being involved in in business and starting businesses and being involved in business. And I think I will be doing that until I'm too old to do it. 
Fantastic, fantastic. Well, certainly, certainly from the five or six years that we've known each other and, and seeing the, the the changes and the pivots you've gone through and um, and and the success that you've bred within your organisation and also the culture. You mentioned culture earlier, and I just don't think people realise what a great culture can really help boost a company, but also what a what a horrible culture can kill a company. And I, I think that was really good. That certainly resonated with me. Thanks for listening to part one with Ian Vickers, but stay tuned for part two, where we hear Ian talk about first jobs, life-changing moments, and who inspired and inspires him. So welcome back to part two for the Vanguard podcast. Um, We're still speaking to Ian Vickers, who is CEO of MetCloud, as I've mentioned earlier. So Ian, what I really want to get into, I guess we're getting a little bit personal here, but what I'd love to know now, we've got another three questions for you in part two. And, and the first one is, what job did you do when you left full-time professional football? Yeah, so I got to about 21 and, um, you know, things weren't totally working out that well for me. Um, uh, mainly more self-inflicted, really, because I went and got married and had a kid coming on the way. And at the time, I was struggling to get long-term contract commitments, and the wife um, didn't want to relocate. and And I got some offers that were over in Barnsley and um, Scunthorpe and various other places, uh, of which my wife wasn't too enamoured about the opportunity to move out to those places in the UK. Nothing against those towns, but uh, she was quite, uh, you know, wedded to to living in uh, Lancashire. So. Anyway, I uh, decided that uh, I would take up a semi-professional role with Southport at the time, and then I had to look for a job. So um, not having loads of skills, um, because probably I'd wasted too much time at school, even though my career teachers told me I needed a, a plan B. You know, like all young people, you don't listen. And I just thought everything was going to be around professional football. So really with no plan and no real uh, direction of travel, I managed to come across an opportunity working for a small publishing company in Preston uh, called Winkley Publications. Uh, That was named after the uh, Winkley Square in Preston City Centre. And there I basically sold advertising space uh, for a number of publications uh, which they produced and, and of which some of them were quite interesting and gave me an insight into really some on the face of it when i was young thinking at 21 why would people buy these magazines you know but actually they sold many many thousands of them worldwide uh, one of them in particular was i think it was called the, the pigeon fancier which is uh, a strange name but when you look into it it's a, a specialist magazine for racing pigeons uh for those people you know racing pigeons and collecting sure. racing pigeons and strangely enough, funny enough, I was listening to the radio the other day and uh, and one of these racing pigeons was sold for $1.9 million, uh, I, think a Chinese, wow. I think a Chinese buyer. So it's still going strong, which was uh, quite a strange and interesting thing. But then you do see, you know, little snippets now and again that Mike Tyson is into racing pigeons and stuff like that. So. So yes, yeah, so it's a it is uh, an area that uh, has a lot of interest and in following. Um, 
And then, you know, from there, uh, from working in that small publishing company for about three years, building up my knowledge and, and experience selling advertising space, I got headhunted by United Newspapers that owned the Lancashire Evening Post, uh, which is a, a very large regional newspaper or was particularly uh, pre the internet. And, uh, you know, and I worked my way up uh, over three years there and uh, became ad manager and was relatively successful. So it went well. It went well at that point in time of my life. So I had a good balance playing football at weekends and, and working hard on a career in the advertising space. So, so that was really good. But then early 90s, I think it was about 92, I started to see that there's lots of changes going on in the print industry. Um, Apple Macs were coming in and replacing a lot of the typesetters um, and using the word processing capability of, of that computing technology. And, and, and things were changing and there's lots of strikes happening at the time. And it wasn't a great industry then. You could see it was going to change. And uh, and I was fortunate enough to um, be offered a, a role selling uh, IT networking and uh, communications for a small, uh, relatively small IT company based in Skelmersdale. And from there, everything just changed for me. Uh, it changed overnight. And quite quickly, I really built up a, a good head of steam in the 90s in the uh, technology sector. Um, and that's where really I got my basis of knowledge and expertise and you know, moved forward. And then when I got to the age of 30, I became sales director at uh, Strand Technology. And then from there, I then moved on to other uh, larger IT companies and ultimately formed my own business in 1998 at the age of 33. Fantastic. Fantastic. So was that your initial foray into uh, being an entrepreneur and starting your own company? or Because um, I seem to remember when we've spoken previously, you you were going to try and launch a, mag a football magazine or, or, or something like that back when you were still in that publication days. Was that, wh where was that you know, that drive to start your business again. I know your parents had shops and so forth, but was it back in the in the in the days of that football magazine or was it when you got into IT? So no, so thanks for bringing that up. So yeah, so while I was working at Winkley Publications, um, a colleague that became a, a really good friend, a gentleman called Patrick Hurley, he, um, because of our football interest, um, we sort of observed that there was a big problem sort of reporting information uh, for particularly grassroots uh, non-league football. So anything that fell outside of the top four leagues. And, and sometimes there's some reporting around non-league uh, non sort of conference level football. But anything below that, you would only get reports on football matches and results and stuff like that in local newspapers. Um, yeah. And so you never got a full picture of actually what was going on, you know, from a, f over the, c the country and all that kind of stuff. So, so we pulled together a fantastic uh, magazine, uh, weekly uh, publication uh, for that non-league football uh, scene. And that was around 1987. Um, and we did some really good stuff. Um, and we interviewed some very famous people at, of its time um, and some notable people, for instance, 
Um, I think there was Stan Boardman, who's a well was a famous comedian in the 80s and 90s, famous for his uh, the Germans bombed our chippy and the fish got battered, which is like his <laughs> line that he liked to say. Uh, and he played for Skelmersdale um, Town Football Club. And then there was another comedian, Mick Miller, who actually played in goal for Port Vale and Blackpool. Uh, so we got to meet all these people and we spent two, three hours interviewing them and we produced some some good stuff uh, around that. And, and we interviewed at the time maybe 20, 30 people uh, to get the magazine set up and, and, and have some uh, content ready to roll for future weeks and stuff like that. But sadly, um, the week it was supposed to go live and, and be published, um, our finance backers pulled out. They got cold feet and, uh, and at the age of... 21, 22, um, I didn't probably have the experience or confidence to to take it forward off the back of that. And it was a huge disappointment because we'd built up some great uh, sort of relationships with all of the non-league football clubs. We'd travelled the length and breadth of the country and visited all of these clubs. And so it was a, it was, it was a sad moment. Um, but it gave me, you know, that entrepreneurial, you know, sort of goal to try and do something later on in my uh in my lifestyle so yeah yeah that that's interesting mate because what uh, one of the comments i was going to make there you know every, you hear all the success stories of these entrepreneurs and so forth but you know most successful entrepreneurs have always had an unsuccessful venture and i guess you know that that's probably your that was probably yours you had it first as opposed to last or midway through your career so you know um the only way is up so to speak or so you thought yeah, well, like I say, I, I, I always thought that at some point I'd revisit the sort of uh, industry um, yeah. from a publishing perspective, um, but harnessing the internet. So there's still there's still time, and I, and I, and everyone says you've got one book in you. Well, maybe I've got still a book to do or something to do. So we'll see. So it's interesting. Uh, I've got some ideas, uh, and yeah, we'll see what happens. Absolutely, you know. Um, we, we've got a we, we've got another five or so minutes here, but one thing I really wanted to touch on, and 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 I think this question I know you're okay with because we've spoken about it ourselves. It's a it's a point that I think everyone I certainly know has been affected by this. Um, but no one that I know at my age or certainly came through it as most as as robust. Um, or as focused as you, and and that was in 2016. I know you got diagnosed with stage three cancer, and you know a lot of people that can really that can really put you back in your career path or where you want to go or what you want to do. But for you, it's almost inspired you to move forward. Do you mind talking us through that and 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 telling us where that took you and 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 where and how it's helped you get to where you are now? Yeah, you're right, Scott. I mean. This is, you know, this is an uplifting story. You know, I know sometimes they don't turn out to be so so good, but you know, for me and and lots of other people who've uh, who've gone through this uh, uh, process of having cancer and come out the other end, you know, it can be or has been certainly for me you know, life changing. Um, you know, so it came uh, out of nowhere. It was a literally, I was just having a health check. Um, I'd got to a certain age. I was just over, I was 51. Um, my wife said, you know, that you need to go and have a, you know, a proper full MOT kind of scenario. So I did, 
did do that. And that's when they uh, diagnosed that I had stage three kidney cancer. So it didn't give me a lot of time to to uh, take it all in. Uh, within about seven days, I was in the operating theater uh, having the kidney removed. And and from there, you know, it was like, well, okay, um, how, how do you deal with things like that? And, and for me, I'm, I'm always very optimistic and and you know things weren't going so well at the time in in the business and i had two months out of the business and it gave me an opportunity to reflect as to where i was at what i wanted to do in the future and i think what you know near death experiences bring is that sense of well life is really too short and and you think sometimes you haven't achieved what you wanted to set out to achieve or you hadn't done this and you hadn't done that and and it gives you a second opportunity to rectify all those things and uh, and that's what it gave me it gave me a new impetus and a a new zest for life and actually all of the things that and i guess bringing back to an analogy of of the it and technology you know maybe it was time for me to you know reboot myself and and clear out all that rubbish that had built up over the years with negative things that had gone on in the business, maybe negative things that had gone on in my personal life. And, and it gave me an opportunity to clear that out. And, uh, and, and for a long time, I'd not sort of had a sense of clarity of thought and clarity of actually direction of travel where I wanted to go. So when I got back into the business in, in January, in 2017, uh, I knew exactly what I was, 100%, I knew exactly what I was going to do. And and that's what I've done. I rebranded the company. Um, all of the original founders of the business uh, have moved on because I knew that was, that's what was needed to do. Um, and we have just gone about changing the whole culture and the whole environment of, of the company to which we are now and and that's you know and everything that we've put in place uh is all built around that initial um blueprint that i had started out with my mind that i developed at the end of 2016 and 2017 so i'm super proud about what we've achieved in the last three years and uh but yeah cancer has given me a, a second chance at making sure that we do things right moving forward Wow. Yeah, I, I you know, I remember meeting you in 2015 and then obviously hearing the stories in 2016 and just you know, when you came back seeing a different you, just just the sparkle in your eye and the determination was was quite inspiring and and, and still inspires me and I know a lot of people in our industry. So thanks, you know, I really appreciate you being so open and sharing that with us. I you know, I I defy anyone that um that doesn't get inspired by that uh in some way shape or form. So you know, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, one, of, one of the final questions I really like to ask, and um, it's, it's a really good question because um, there are so many things and so many people that inspire us in our lives. Um, do you have one, two, five, ten uh, people that inspired you as a child? And to this day, does that still remain the same? And are they still an inspiration to you? Yes, uh, I'm probably like lots of people, you know, lots of people inspire me. You know, there are so many inspirational characters and and people in history that have done so so many amazing things. 
But I guess a we haven't got a lot of time to to talk about this, uh, and and b it's you know, another podcast, Ian. I think. <laughs> and, and Stand then, by. Maybe maybe that's a good idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. So um, for me, um, someone who was inspirational when I was very very young, so around about eight, nine, ten, kind of age, and I think that sort of sets you out on a on a bit of a life journey as to who you want to be measured against and and how you you know where you get your moral compass from and and how you sort of want to to measure up to those people and and for me there was two people who stand out for me uh, in the uh, in the early 70s and that was my granddad and uh, and Kevin Keegan um Kevin Keegan was my hero you know, at the age of seven, eight, nine, um, he was your pin-up guy of the time for Liverpool Football Club. Um, he was inspirational. He was a leader, a goal scorer. Um, he's one of the very, very few footballers, uh, English footballers, that have gone on to win uh, European Player of the Year twice. Um, he's had every kind of... Uh, accolade where he's won european championships he's played for his country he's captain his country he's managed his country team he's managed lots of clubs uh, newcastle in particular uh, he had some great success so for me kevin keegan also inspired me because i know when i've listened to him and other people talking about kevin it's that he wasn't born with the most amount of gift of a footballer you know he wasn't a george best he wasn't a pele he wasn't a uh, a maradona he 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 isn't you know of that kind of ilk but what he was is a perfectionist and he worked very very hard at his craft and he became the best footballer in the world at his time so yeah. so that inspired me and you know and it also takes me back to when my dad took me to the to the cop in liverpool and he stood me up on a on a crate so I could see over the wall. And you know, and, and in those days, the footballers and uh, of that time were more identifiable. You know, you could see them. You saw them in the streets. You saw them. They they lived in the same estates as you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. So it wasn't like nowadays where they live in gated properties and swimming pools and and all this kind of trappings of significant wealth back then they would live in a four bedroom detached house on a normal housing estate so so it's different so it was great and uh, and you know he was he was definitely one of my inspirational uh, individuals of his time and then coming back to my granddad well you know i think your granddad and your grandma and all that kind of stuff they can often be incredible people because they come from a different generation and they have different standards and they have different ways to talk to you and, and they have time to talk to you. You know, your parents don't tend to have a lot of time to spend and and, and mentor you and, and talk to you because they're busy, you know, um, you know, with lots of things and, and your grandparents tend to have a little bit more time. And, and he inspired me because not only was he a great man, but he was also um, doing great things. And he was on the design and uh, development team of the Concorde, which obviously was a, an incredible um, machine 
that could fly supersonic. Uh, and it was so iconic of its time. So to know that, you know, my granddad was on that team is, is inspiration as well. Although I didn't sort of recognize it so much at the age of eight, nine, and 10. But now looking back uh, to think that he was uh, part of that history-making team that, that, uh, that created the Concorde is, is, is pretty good. I think that's awesome. You know, I, I, I identify that because my, my, grand, my grandfather from my, my mum's side was, was also probably my biggest inspiration and, and one of the reasons why I moved from Australia to, to England. So um, I can certainly identify that. Ian, so open, so knowledgeable, um, so interesting. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, I know we've taken this into into two parts of a of what is our inaugural Vanguard podcast episode one. So um, I really appreciate you doing that. I really appreciate you being here. And uh, again, Ian, thanks so much for your time. No, that's great, Scott. I appreciate it. I appreciate being invited to to speak on it. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about things because. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully some of this may resonate with some people, some of the listeners, uh, and hopefully it helps. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Thanks very much and uh, have a good rest of your day. And you. And have Cheers, a, mate. Have a good Christmas. Cheers, Scott. Thanks, you too. Merry Christmas to you as well. Take Cheers, care mate. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Vanguard, everyone. And again, thanks so much for Ian for joining us and giving us his feedback as to how he's taking elite sport mentality and teamwork into driving a really harmonious and successful culture within his business. Be sure to join me again for episode two, where we'll hear like-minded and inspiring people to share their words of wisdom and help how they're shaping their lives going into 2021. Stay well, stay safe, and can't wait for you all to join us for the next episode of Vanguard.